4: By Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan, brought to you today by Del Monte tomato products. Not far from the mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story, Memento from Adelaide.
5: I first saw them standing on the sidewalk outside my tambourine. Two men, one tall and thin with a puckered mouth that looked like it had been eating sour apples, the other short and fat, fidgeting with a briefcase and pointing to the numbers that marked the address of my cafe. They stood outside for a moment, jabbering to each other. Then I guess they made up their minds because they came into my place, the fat one in the lead. A few seconds later, the fat one opened the conversation. You, sir, your name, sir, is... Rocky Jordan.
6: As expected. My card, sir. J. Lampo of the PIC, the Pyramid Insurance Company, Home Offices, Alexandria. Huh? Insurance of all sorts fire, theft, life, health, group annuities, fidelity, and surety bonds, etc. My associate here. My
7: card. H. Manchek, similarly of the PIC, agent for
5: the Cairo District.
7: We are in business for your protection.
5: Well, thanks a lot, fellas. I appreciate that, but I'm not in the market for any insurance. My briefcase. Hmm. Uh. Uh, Now the papers. Shall I interrogate, or do you wish to mancheck?
7: Whichever you prefer.
5: Look, why don't you start, Lamfo, and mancheck and fill in the gaps? But make it fast. I got a lot to do. We all
6: have, Mr. Jordan. I shall proceed. You could, if requested, secure affidavits from reliable persons attesting you are Rocky Jordan, as you say, and no other. I could. Since I am no other, there must be a point to all this. The Rocky Jordan we have in mind owned an establishment called the Café Tambourine, even as this café is called. Now, this café previously had been located in two other large world cities. Name the cities. Istanbul and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Am I warm? This Rocky Jordan we have in mind is not native to Egypt. He is an immigrant from another country. Name the country. How about the United States? In what city of this same United States was this Rocky Jordan born? Ah, uh, I'll try St. Louis. Mr.
7: Lampo, this is indeed the man. Our exhaustive investigations the last few weeks prove it to me.
6: And to me. Mr. Jordan, I shall leave these release-from-claim papers with you. After you have studied them to your complete satisfaction, please to sign them. And then? H. Manchak shall return this evening to pick up the signed papers and deliver to you a check. Payment in full... in American money, Mr. Jordan.
7: PIC shall then be relieved of its obligation to you. Well,
5: $40,000 is a nice obligation, fellas, but. The Pyramid
6: Insurance Company prefers always to pay claims against it as rapidly as possible. In this case, there was unavoidable delay because you presented no formal claim. Since, however, you are beneficiary, the money is rightfully
5: yours. Look, fellas, I don't like to be a wet blanket, but there must be some mistake. There is no mistake, Mr. Jordan, rest assured.
6: We have investigated thoroughly. PIC
7: owes you $40,000 ever since the death a year ago of Mrs. Adelaide Foss, Jordan, your wife.
5: phone and check walked out of the tambourine and left me standing there with my mouth open. I figured they were
8: phonies, a couple of loonies working. A rumor, a new lease of life. And to add fuel to the fire, there was this jealousy of another woman, Miss you No good. I just can't stand it. Seeing that Mr. Greenwood walking around with his second wife and the first one only six months buried. I'm going to the police. Honest, Jones. What evidence have you to substantiate your suspicions? Well, of course, it isn't easy, but I've been nursing for 15 years and I've never seen a case like Mrs. Greenwood. It took him over so sudden, like, and then there was Mr. Greenwood. Oh, what about Mr. Greenwood? Well, certainly, he did. He didn't seem a talk perturbed when the poor lady died, getting married again so soon. know what else? Well, I talked to some of the servants, Hannah Williams now. He says that on the day that Mrs. Greenwood was taken ill, Mr. Greenwood was in the pantry, and she didn't I think that's than what other people think. But all the same, in view of the rumors circulating, I think we'd better make some inquiries. And so, on the 24th of October, police officers visited Mr. Greenwood and took a long statement from him. I can assure you, Superintendent, I am perfectly agreeable to giving you every help. I have certainly heard all these rumours, and not only for my own sake, but for the memory of my first wife, I should like to get the
3: whole matter cleared up.
8: This statement formed the basis of a report to the home office, and finally, in April 1920, the local coroner instructed that Mrs. Greenwood's remains should be exhumed for a post-mortem examination. The results of this examination were sent to Mr. Webster, official analyst of the home office. I have to report that I can discover no valvular disease or other natural cause to account for the death. However, I can positively report that present in all the organs examined was found an amount of 18 milligrams of arsenic. For this time, the national newspapers had started to take an interest in the case. And only the day after the post-mortem, Mr. Greenwood, in an interview with the Daily Mail, said... I am the victim of village gossip, a village scandal. And if you know Welsh village life, you will know what that means. It all started from the fact that four months after my first wife's death, I married again. That started the gossip. It is only fair to me to say that my first wife had suffered in health for at least two years before her death. Not only was her heart bad, but she also suffered from an internal disease. It was, however, from the heart attack that she died on June the 16th. No one, not even the doctor, thought that that attack would be fatal. The adjourned inquest was opened the following month, the anniversary of the poor woman's death. A great deal of evidence was brought forward. Eighteen witnesses were examined. And in particular, evidence was produced concerning the purchase of arsenic. Medical opinion considered that it... By the local police, but already Scotland Yard had a man on the spot. Why would she do a thing like that, Chris?
5: I don't know, Rock. Seems a little funny, doesn't it? Day my barely know dies, a year goes by, her life insurance policy turns up, and I'm $40,000 richer.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, all right.
5: I'd sort of like to know why. Any ideas where I could look for some answers?
4: Why don't you leave it alone, Rock? What do you mean? Well, she's dead. Let it rest.
5: What do you suggest I do? Just sign these papers and collect the 40000
4: Well, it's all legit, isn't it?
5: Well, seems to be.
4: Look, let it lay, Rock. I think it'd be better that way all the way around. Sign the papers, collect the money. It's coming to you. and forget the whole thing. Well, maybe you're right, Chris.
5: Maybe I'll just do that.
4: Is that all, Rocky? Yeah. Well, I'll get back to these glasses then. Oh, uh, Rocky, I've got a doctor appointment this afternoon. Only time he could take me you mind if I knock off for an hour? No, no, not at all. Well, thanks. I'll leave in a few minutes, but I'll be back before the evening rush.
5: Well, it didn't take a mind reader to figure that Chris knew more than he was saying. So when he left a few minutes later, I tailed him. First, he went to the Pyramid Insurance Company. Then he caught a cab and rode down to the Elmox Bazaar in Old Cairo. He wound his way through it and went in a tent under a crooked sign that said, Astrology. Prince Rico, the divine. I waited up the street in front of a coffee and tobacco shop. The lady who ran it must have taken a correspondence course in high-pressure selling.
8: The attendee wishes to purchase from my fine shop fine articles of coffee and tobacco. Hey, no, the best selection in all Egypt. Observe the fine coffee from Java and Brazil. Very nice. Observe the unexcelled selection of the aromatic tobacco She tobaccos. kept up her jabber and every once in a while tugged at my sleeve.
5: But I kept my eye on the tent of Prince Rico, the divine. Later, Chris came out again and started to leave the bazaar, but he never made it. The next thing I knew, Chris was rolling in the ground. There was a lot of reaction from the people in the crowded the bazaar. Ah, let me through. Come on, come
3: on, let me through. Do not push. Do not push your friendly. I wish to see the happenings even as you. I saw it all. Yeah? I saw all that happened. This man had just stepped out of Prince Rico's tent. Greenwood
8: gone. And that Mrs. Greenwood drank it. At supper time, the wine bottle had gone. A masterly moment of the trial was Sir Edward Marshall Hall's cross-examination of Hannah Williams, who, you remember, was one of the servants. Did you tell the police that it was a bottle of port wine you put on the table for dinner on the 15th of June, and that it had on it a red label and a black print, and that you read on it the word port? Yes.
0: That
8: you swear? Yes. I suggest to you that it was labelled bone. Oh no, it was port wine? Do you suggest that Mrs. Greenwood was in the habit of drinking port wine? Oh no, sir. What did she drink? Burgundy. But port wine was there on this Sunday. I know you have said so. Do you know that bone is burgundy? No, sir. What did you do after laying the table? I sounded the gong when Mr. Greenwood came in. Did Greenwood come in from the garden before you put the dinner on the table? He came in before I laid the table. I had to wait until he came out of the China pantry before going fetch the Silver. I was not supposed to go into the room when he was there. Do you mean to say that you had never seen Greenwood in the China pantry before? I've never seen him. I put it to you that almost every Sunday when he was at home, or after each time he was in the garden, he did go in there to wash his hands at the sink. No. Hundreds of times. Oh, no, sir. He used to go upstairs to wash his hands. Do you mean to say that you never saw Mr. Greenwood wash his hands at the sink in the china pantry? Oh, no, sir. It was a long way right up to the bathroom, was it not? Not very long. Are you telling us the truth? I can't let you tell the truth. Mr. Greenwood is here on his life. Do you swear it was an unusual thing for him to go to the china pantry? You were getting rather excited just now and shouted at the witness. I have to see that the witnesses are not addressed in a vehement way. Why not? Because it confuses them. Why, it is my duty to be vehement. Another vital moment was the cross-examination of Nurse Jones. When you got to the house at eight o'clock... Had she got to bed then, I want you to be very careful over that. No. When you left at nine o'clock, you were satisfied that she was not in a dangerous condition then? You would not have left her if you thought she was in a dangerous condition? I had to leave. Did you not say at the police court, I made the patient comfortable before I left at nine o'clock, I was obliged to go home? It was not a voluntary statement, and it is obviously in answer to a question. She has already said that if she knew the patient was in a dangerous condition, she would not have gone. Would you have left the patient if you had known? I have an aged father and a child of five to look after, also. Miss Irene was there and Miss Phillips was there. If you had thought Missus Greenwood was really dangerously ill, would you have left? I had to. Well, I have to take your answer. Did Mrs. Greenwood say that the medicine caught her at the back of the throat? Mr. Greenwood told me so. Did Mr. Greenwood make a complaint to you? Mr. Greenwood said to me, Nurse, no, Mrs. Greenwood complains that the medicine caught her at the back of the throat. Did you taste the medicine yourself? Yes. It had no effect on me. And what quantity was the dose? Two teaspoons. In. It was soon after ten o'clock that I gave Mrs. Greenwood the second oath. I was not asking You her. must not pitch into this witness because she won't say exactly what you want her to say. All I am thinking is that if I raise my voice, she will raise hers. I am not pitching into her. I rather wish your lordship had not used those words. I am dealing with the witness in a perfectly fair way. I am sure you are, but don't pitch into me now. I can trust you, Sir Edward. And you can trust me. One of the most telling witnesses for the defense was Irene Greenwood,
4: the elder... And now we take you back to Cairo, and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, Memento from Adelaide.
5: In a little while, the ambulance showed, and Chris was carted off to a Cairo hospital. He was in pretty bad shape. A few minutes later, Captain Sabaya and his men showed. The crowd was still milling about in the bazaar, and it seemed that they all wanted to get into the act.
6: I saw it, Captain. All I that stopped. happened. I Stop. saw Stop. even more than he yes. Question yes. me. I requested Captain Sabaya question me about yes. the happening. Yes, he it will was... lie, Captain. I wish to be
2: questioned first so that my picture will be in the newspaper. Silence! I... I Silence, all of you! I Quiet! Now... All of you who claim to have pertinent facts shall be questioned in due time. Captain
8: of the police, sir.
2: Mm? Uh,
8: it would be most kind of you if you would allow the newspapers to say that the man was shot in front of my coffee and tobacco shop. Even though this was uh, not so, the publicity would be the most. Uh, yes, later,
2: later, later. Come, Jordan, let us walk away from the crowd. You are the one I wish to question. Right, sir. Someday, Jordan, I shall learn your secret. What secret is that? How you manage always to be in close proximity of serious trouble. (laughs) This is far enough. All right, Jordan, proceed with what you know of this. There's not much to tell, Sam. There's always much to tell in a case of violence. What were you and Chris doing here at the bazaar? We weren't together. Chris came to talk to Prince Rico.
5: Remember when I called you checking on the Pyramid Insurance Company? Yes. I also asked if he knew anything about a girl named Adelaide Foss. Yes, I remember. She died a year ago in an auto accident. Today, the Pyramid Insurance Company turned up with a life insurance policy for $40,000... with me as beneficiary. Hmm. Continue. The strange thing about it, Sam, is that she had me marked down as her husband... and I barely
2: knew her. When
5: I mentioned it to Chris, he got worried... and came over to have a conversation with Prince Rico.
2: Continue. That's all there is. That's all there is indeed. Jordan, a man is shot on the street of Cairo... A woman leaves a life insurance policy to a man she barely knows. The man who he shot is connected with...
6: In a moment, Superintendent X of Scotland Yard.
3: We like to see Made in USA on things we buy. It makes us think good thoughts, like supporting American industry and keeping Americans on the job. Well, you might be amazed at how often Made in USA turns up all over the world. In fact, last year alone, we exported more than $80 billion worth of manufactured goods. The U.S. Department of Commerce and the Advertising Council point out that many of the companies manufacturing for export are small, with fewer than 100 employees. If you're now selling your products here in the U.S., chances are there's a market for them overseas, too. For information on selling abroad, call the International Trade Specialist at your local Department of Commerce field office. Buy American is a good idea. Sell American is even better. A public service of this station.
0: How do you do? Today in this series of programs, I want to tell you something about the fence. To begin with, I'm not referring to your back garden, if you have a back garden, or in fact to any wooden structure. As you know, in the language of the underworld, a fence is a receiver of stolen goods. And while we're on the language of the underworld, it might be a good idea if we brush up our knowledge on this subject. Let me give you a few illustrations. Seen Charlie lately? Nah, he's up for a stretch. I thought it was only a carpet.
3: What, with his record? Like doesn't not a too.
0: Quite simple, really. Charlie, it appears, has been sentenced to 12 months imprisonment. For a stretch in the underworld, does not mean just a term of imprisonment. It means 12 months. As for a carpet, that's just three months. That's for a pontoon.
3: Does that mean 21?
0: That's right, lady. Pontoon, 21 months. Simple, ain't it? What do you think? Here's another example. Watch out, Charlie. There's a busy... What do you think I am? A dipper? Anyway,
3: it isn't a flatty. No,
0: but it may be a knock.
3: I know what a knock is. It's an informer. Right again, lady. But what's a dipper?
0: Well, if you was so broke, you'd know all right... It's a pickpocket, you see. He
3: dips in just like that.
0: Uh, Hey, take your hand out of my pocket. And
3: what about a flatty?
0: He's a (laughs) flatty, you see, a detective. And a busy? The uniform branch.
3: I think it's fascinating.
0: (laughs) Like Mrs. Beaton's recipe book, we should start the story by saying, first find your fence.
3: If you think that the modern fence works from a kind of Fagin's den, you're very much mistaken. The art of staying in the business of being a fence is to look as inoffensive as possible. Oh, forgive the pun, I didn't mean it. Uh, One of the most successful men in the business had three different homes. And you, you could have gone through every one of them with a fine tooth comb, and you wouldn't have found the slightest trace of the way in which he made his living.
0: Then where will we find the fence?
3: Come along with me. I've got a date. It's in a London club. No, not one of those Soho joints. A respectable luncheon club, just off Piccadilly Circus, it's true, but in a very good neighbourhood. Most of the people who belong there are pretty prosperous, and some of them are very well known. It'd give them quite a surprise if they knew some of the business which is done in their club. Well, here we are, just up these steps. Give your name at the door, turn right, and we're in the bar. Good evening, Mabel. Evening, sir. Hello, Mr. Williams. Good evening. What are you doing here tonight? Uh, Small scotch, miss.
8: Small scotch.
3: Oh, just uh, passing the time of day. What are you doing here? The same as you. In a way, he's telling the truth. Williams is a fence. I'm telling it to you because Scotland Yard it. The trouble of proving it is a lot harder. Mr. Williams can always be found at the club at four o'clock in the afternoon, no earlier, no later. He meets a lot of people, talks to them, and then goes home. Most of the people he meets are as innocent as you and I. But once in a while, he'll meet a visitor from overseas, a Frenchman or a Dutchman. You'll
6: know...
5: But I laugh my mouth. The stars forbid me to speak. You know, some people are liable to think you shot Chris. I can keep no one from thinking as he wishes. I bet a five-pound note would open your mouth. It would indeed. My mouth would open as large as you like, but no word would come out. Chris knew Adelaide Foss. Knew her well, I'd say. I think maybe they went together for a while. I bet you know about that. It is as I have said. I know everything cost a lot of money to take out a $40,000 insurance policy. Adelaide was a poor girl. Where'd she get the money? Mm. Why'd she put me down as beneficiary? Mm. All right, Rico, come on. Where are you taking me? Consult the stars, buddy. They'll tell you. I grabbed Prince Rico the Divine by his phony royal neck and shoved him into a cab. Ten minutes later, I dumped him into the lap of Sergeant Greco and asked him to have Sam call me after he had a chance to question Rico. Then I went back to the tambourine and put on a call to the hospital. Chris was still unconscious. I sat out at a table and looked through the insurance papers that Lampo and Manchak had left for me to sign. A moment later, the door opened and H. Manchak walked in.
7: Ah, good evening, Mr. Jordan, good evening. Ah, uh, sit down, Mr. Manchak. Thank you, thank you, indeed. Jay Lampo sends his respects. He had to go back to Alexandria. Ah? Uh-huh. Ah, I see you have the insurance papers in front of you. Good. I have the check from Pyramid. If you will just give me those papers, I shall give you the check. I haven't
5: uh, signed them yet.
7: Are they not in order? Oh, they seem to be all right. Well, what are you waiting for? Oh, I don't know. But you understand, Mr. Jordan, I cannot give you the check until you sign uh-huh. my pen, Mr. Jordan. You still do not sign? Perhaps, Mr. Jordan, it would be wise if you and I retired to your private office where we may talk this out more fully. Sure, I'll go for that. Come on.
5: There we are. All
7: right, start talking. Mr. Jordan, it must be apparent to you by this time that there is more to this business than you are aware of, all of which makes it imperative that you sign these papers. I'm afraid you'll have to clear that up. Chris, your bartender, is a friend of yours... Yeah? You are aware that he and Adelaide Foss knew each other quite well?
5: I heard some talk.
7: But I would say that you are not aware of the fact that Adelaide Foss's death was not accidental.
5: What are you getting at?
7: I am simply stating a positive fact. Adelaide Foss's death was not accidental. Now, if suddenly the police get a suspicion of that fact and proceed on an investigation, they might learn that Chris was in love with a girl, but she was not in love with him. They might then wonder if he was not responsible for her death. Uh, get to the point, check. What are you after? This, Mr. Jordan, if you sign these papers. These are perfectly legal papers. Let me impress upon you. I then can turn over you, to you this check worth $40,000. Go on. Should you then return $20,000 to me personally? I promise to keep certain information pertaining to Adelaide Foss's death from the police. They consider it a closed issue.
5: It will remain so. That makes a pretty sweet deal all the way around. Indeed.
7: You make $20,000, I make $20,000. And Chris's secret remains hidden forever.
5: Me taking that check, you make it sound like the thing to do. It
7: is? My pen. Thanks. First, the insurance paper's releasing pyramid from claim. Uh Huh?
5: Excellent. Here is the check. Thank you. Now,
7: your check to me for $20,000. Well,
5: I don't have that much money in my checking account.
7: Uh, You will. Please endorse your check from Pyramid. Mail it to your bank for deposit tonight. In the morning, I shall be at the bank to cash your check to me. You got it all figured out, haven't you? These many years of experience in the insurance business. Now, you will endorse the $40,000 check and then... Write me one for 20.
5: I did as he said, wrote him a check, scribbled an endorsement on the one from Pyramid and sealed it in an envelope. Then Mancheck walked me to the mailbox to be sure I dropped it in. After that, he left. But I knew that wasn't the last I was to see of H. Mancheck. Before he came back, I had to move fast. The first thing I did was put in a call to Chris to see if he could talk. The doc still said no. Well, if Chris couldn't talk, his belongings could. So I caught a cab and went over to his apartment and started to look around. First the bureau drawers, then the closets, and finally a small desk standing in the corner. When the bottom drawer failed to come open at a pull, I knew I had something, so I kicked it in. Inside, I found a framed picture of a very skinny, very unhappy girl, Adelaide Foss. Clipped to the back of the picture was a faded piece of yellow paper. It was a short note, but it told a lot of things. And right then and there, I knew I had all the answers to the whole rotten mess. next morning, I was but ready for H. Mancheck. He put in an appearance around 10.45, and he didn't seem too happy. Mr. Jordan. Oh, good morning, Mr. Mancheck. This is his surprise. Mr. Jordan, I arrived
7: at the bank this morning and attempted to cash the check for $20,000, which you made out in my favor. I was told there were insufficient funds in your account. Is that so? Would you please tell me how that was possible when I myself saw you deposit $40,000 by mail?
5: I'm going to tell you a lot of things. I don't think you're going to like any of them.
7: Mr. Jordan, are you suggesting that I call the police and tell them of Chris and Adelaide? There's the phone. Call.
5: They thought not. Chris didn't kill Adelaide, Manchek. Her death was not an accident, I assure you. No, but Chris didn't kill her, and I can prove it. But I can prove something else that's going to hit you a little closer. You had a pretty good scheme, Manchek. It went something like this. A lonely girl, shall we say, dies. You sit right down, write a $40,000 insurance policy for her, and predate it before her death. You send the policy and the premium payment to your home office. Everything's fine. You wait. A year goes by. Another premium payment is due. The company sends a bill to the girl. No answer. The letter comes back. But it's a big policy, so they investigate and find out the girl's dead. Now there's a claim against the company. Pyramid is a legit outfit, so they investigate some more. They find out I'm the beneficiary. Lamfo comes down from Alexandria to pay off the claim. How am I doing?
7: Proceed.
5: After the claim is paid, you move in and try to shake me down for half the money.
7: Uh, uh, Mr. Jordan,
5: may I ask how you intend to prove this? By a piece of faded yellow paper I found in Chris's drawer. It explains why he didn't want me digging into Adelaide's accidental debt. It explains how she died. And the handwriting will prove that it wasn't Adelaide force who took out the insurance policy at all. Because it's not her signature on the policy. And what, Mr.
7: Jordan, is this miraculous piece of paper?
5: A suicide note from Adelaide. I see. May I see this note?
7: Oh no. I do not believe that such a note exists. You'll be convinced. Sit down. You will not make that. I metaphor. said, sit down.
5: That's better. Speaking. uh speaking. Rocky, Sam. Come on over to the tambourine, will you? Hmm? There's someone here who wants to tell you how he tried to fleece the Pyramid Insurance Company, how he threw a bullet into Chris, and how he ended up sitting in my waste paper basket. Is that all he did, Jordan? Yeah, there are a few more things. Come on over. I'll tell you all about
4: it. In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. Friends, it isn't every day we can sit down to a tender, juicy steak. With most of us, that's just a a once-in-a-while special treat. You homemakers know it's the everyday meals that count. The low-cost foods that come within the average family budget. Preparing such foods in new and interesting ways, giving them a hearty He-Man flavor is easy with Del Monte tomato sauce. It's been tested for flavor by a generation of good cooks. Why, (laughs) it's...
9: Stop twirling that keychain. You're making me nervous. Easy, Joe. You're blowing your top, kid. Don't call me kid. Now, look, Eddie, I'm trying to be calm. Trying to be calm ain't easy with a guy like you. Now, tell me what happened and tell me fast. Solid. Nothing to get excited about, kid. Don't call me kid. Now, look, I'm your boss, Joe D'Angelo. You call me Mr. DiAngelo or Joe. But you don't call me kid. You get that?
1: Okay, kid. What? You want a report? Here it is. I passed two of the $100 bills you're making in competition with the government. No trouble. You like that? Two of them, huh? That is good. Where? One of them I got rid of down at the restaurant on Green Street. No trouble. Uh-huh. The other I got rid of at the haberdashery. Guy looks the bill over good, and he gives me the change as nice as you please. We're in business,
9: Joe. <laughs> you bet your life we are. Only this local stuff is small time, see? Tell you what I want to do now, Eddie. Yeah? I want you to make contacts in different cities. Sell them the counterfeit bills I make. Can you do it? Natch. Push over. What do you want for them? 25 percent. I want 25 bucks a good dough for every $100 phony. Can you get it? I'm
1: gonna get more than that, kid. I'm getting 30 bucks instead of 25. Okay, I could use the other five. Yeah, maybe you can, kid. The other five goes to me. That's my commission.
9: Don't start anything, Eddie. Remember now, you just work for me. You do like I tell you. Yeah, who takes the risks of passing the queer? You? No, me. And I've got what I can for you here. Don't you forget, the FBI would
1: like to know what you're doing.
9: Now that that's settled, I think. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Georgie! Georgie, come in here! Hey, what is this? You'll find out. Come in. Come in, Georgie.
10: Really, Mr. D'Angelo, I wish you wouldn't scream my name. It's disturbing. Well, what is it you want?
9: Georgie, uh,
10: Eddie here is uh, getting ambitious. Hmm. Might have expected something like that from him. Look at what he's wearing. The suit coat is three inches too long. That keychain is in horrible taste, and the color of that suit—midnight blue. <laughs> hey, what is
9: this? A lesson in what I should wear? What do you want with Georgie, Joe? You'll find out, Georgie. You're a good boy, so I'm going to let you have some fun
5: right now. Hey, look
9: <laughs> on my arm. Joe, Joe, hey, Mr. D'Angelo, let go ahead. Let go, will Georgie, you? I can't hold this character
2: all day. Joe, let me go, Is
10: that it? it? Of course Joe. I have, right all here. Right. Joe, let me go. I'm ready to use it. Joe, no! <laughs> <laughs> it's done, Mr. D'Angelo. You won't have any trouble at all from him from now on. Oh, dear. What's the matter, Georgie? Nothing. It's all right. I thought for a moment I'd gotten a bit of lint from his shirt... On my suit.
8: My boy is gone, and he was a good boy, Mr. Marcos.
5: I'm sure he was, Mrs. Macon, but there isn't it... anything I can do. Oh, you can't... I'm district attorney. You want the police department, Bureau of Missing Persons? No, no. I'll get them on the phone for you. Won't? No,
8: no, no, no! It is not them I want. You, you, and your friend Philo Vance I hear about Mrs. you? Mrs. Macon, I, I oh, read I'm... about the two of you, and now my Eddie is missing. You can find him, Mr. Markham. He, he's a good boy.
5: Well, if it'll help you any to tell me about him, Mrs. Macon, go right ahead. I'll turn the information over to the proper authorities.
8: Uh, Mr. Markham, last night, Eddie, he does not come home. Always he comes home. Every night. Last night, he does not come home. Three weeks ago, he quit his job. It's a good job, Mr. Markham. He was a shipping clerk.
2: Go ahead, Mrs. Macon. Uh,
8: after he leaves that job, he have more money than when he work. Well, I, I said to him, Eddie, I say where do you get this money? But they won't tell me. And now he's gone. Something has happened to him, Mr. Markin. You, you have got to find out where what it is. You, you, you and Mr. Vance. I
5: hardly think this is a matter for Vance, Mrs. Macon, but I can promise you this. Uh, uh, I have a description of your son y- yes. and the photograph you brought me. Yes, yes, yes. I'll yeah, do I... what I can to find him. You can depend on that. I'll do what I can. <laughs>
9: Again, you're filing your nails, always filing your nails. Put that file away, Georgie.
10: Certainly, Mr. D'Angelo. You sound upset. There's something wrong? That kid, that Eddie Macon we knocked off. Mm-hmm. We don't need him, I assure you. I'm quite capable of passing all the counterfeit bills you make and of making connections to have them passed in other cities. So why worry about him? Oh, yeah? Suppose they find his body. Suppose they trace it back to us, then what? My dear Mr. D'Angelo, don't be ridiculous. First of all, they'll never find his body. It's down at the bottom of the lake, very carefully weighed with a very heavy stone. Second of all, even if they did find it, there is nothing that will lead the police to us. Absolutely nothing. What are you going to do now? I've got to go to work
9: on this press. Might as well get some of those bills moving in case we have to blow town in a hurry. Ridiculous.
10: We'll be here as long as we'd like. See you later.
9: Where are you going?
10: Out of here. I simply won't be able to stand the sound of that printing machine.
5: Beautiful <laughs> drive, Vance. Thank you, Markham. Beautiful drive, beautiful day for golf. What more could a man want? What's wrong with a beautiful thing, That wouldn't hurt me. <laughs> a caddy has something there, <laughs> Vance. Yes, he has. But a beautiful <laughs> girl might lead to trouble. And this is no day for trouble. I'll get out of your ball, Mr. Vance. I'll be there by the time Mr. Markham shoots.
4: I hope I hit one long enough so that I... have a date next week at the Café Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. And the story is Pattern for Revenge. When it's real corn patch flavor you want, just ask for Del Monte Corn either golden cream style or whole kernel. Yes, if you want rich, melt-in-your-mouth, butter-tender corn, look for Del Monte, the brand that always puts flavor first. Next Sunday, Rocky Jordan will come to you at a new time, one half hour later. Here's the lineup. You will hear Jack Benny, then Amos and Andy, then Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, and then Rocky Jordan. (laughs) Larry Thor speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.